broadcasting from the campus of Lynn Benton Community College. We are the Mid-Valley STEM CTE Hub. I'm your host, Casey, and this, this is Closing the Gap. Welcome back, listeners. Today on Closing the Gap, we have Alice Welch, right? Yep. (laughs) A budding biologist. Alice is working on their master's at Oregon State University in integrative biology. (laughs) Hey, Alice, how are you? I'm good. Very excited to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Would you mind giving us, uh, the audience and the you know, the host, <laughs> a brief um, explanation of what integrative biology is. Yeah, so um, within the university, integrative biology is one of the departments there. And essentially, we study like all aspects of biology. So from all the way down to like the tiniest molecule within a cell up to like full communities and ecosystems. So it's just like a very broad range of research going on in our department. Awesome. Um. So one of the things that I learned about you while I was sleuthing, well, I think actually you might have just sent it to me for to read, but uh, you had done some undergraduate work at the Grand Teton studying, mm-hmm. um, what kind of bird were you studying? Uh, they're called red crossbills. It's a type of nomadic finch. Awesome. So uh, I would love to hear like the story about how you got that opportunity to do that, as well as how did you choose your topic? And was it given yeah. to you or did you choose it? Yeah, so that one... Partially it was given to me and partially I chose it. So it's a little bit of a long story. I was originally working for a different lab um, called Mason Lab and they had snakes. And I really wanted to get involved with research, but they didn't really have any opportunities. So they had connected me with a different lab, the Cornelius Lab that works with birds. And there's this really cool uh, ward at Oregon State where you can basically do summer research. It's called the uh, Summer Undergraduate Research Experience or SURE. So I got connected to that lab and I met with the professor and basically we talked together, thought of what research ideas I could have. Um, Their main species is red crossbills, so that was how that one came about. Mm. And so we decided that I would be proposing to look at body condition of like juveniles versus adults. What does that mean? So it's kind of like a bird version of BMI. So we're like using it as like an indicator of health and just like overall, like how well are they doing in the environment? Okay, cool. Yeah, so I uh, proposed that, I applied for sure, and I got it. So then uh, the grad students were going to the Tetons because that's where the crossbills happened to be at the time. So we ended up going there, and I stayed there camping for a month, um, catching a bunch of crossbills and, like, chasing them around in the forest. Right on. Yeah. Were you into camping before you started uh, working uh, at the Grand Tetons, or yeah, was that's when they came about because you yeah. had to? Yeah, I I was into camping. I haven't I hadn't done it in a while as of that time. Um, so it was a little crazy, especially being out there for like a month and you don't really have access to showers or anything. So it's just like bathing in random rivers and like all this, like, I don't know, like bushwoman kind of sure. feeling. <laughs> like it was just kind of crazy. Like we're like these sweaty biologists like running through the forest and there's like tourists that can see us like <laughs> tracking a bird down. <laughs> so I would imagine yeah. you'd be pretty at home by the end of that month. Oh yeah, for sure. You got really comfortable with nature. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you like love it or hate it being in the field for that long? At first it was really difficult. Um, when you're tracking a bird and you're like, you don't realize how unkept 
the wilderness is because like you see like the touristy areas and then you get into like the wilderness because you're trying to chase this bird down and suddenly there's just debris and like logs everywhere mm-hmm. and so like you're climbing and like trying not to like take yourself out as you're chasing this bird that's flying above like completely happy no issues <laughs> so yeah it was a lot more work than I expected it was really fun and especially once I left I wanted to go back that's awesome yeah <laughs> I'm just I have this image in my head of you're like just ambling through all the underbrush and there's just this bird that like doesn't even really like pay attention to you and yeah exactly <laughs> just like getting you know jabbed by yeah like down branches and stuff yeah, yeah i have quite a few i had quite a few scratches i think i got a few scars too from falling while i was tracking them so you know <laughs> it's a good story yeah that's awesome yeah so i always uh wondered how biologists land on subjects of study mm-hmm. um how do you determine what you're going to study or like how did you land on vertebrae and, and birds and well, I guess verte- birds are vertebrae you know yeah. this yes, same vertebrae thing came up for me earlier today in another <laughs> podcast so yeah. it's just on my mind <laughs> yeah yeah it's actually kind of crazy this is actually one thing I was talking with some of the people like in my cohort so other first years um we were all kind of like talking about our story and one thing I have realized is that none of us really plan to get with the species that we're working with it just kind of like fell into our lap more or less interesting so yeah it was like I started with uh, Mason lab with the snakes and then I got connected to Cornelius lab with the birds and then I really like the birds um I'm also really interested in behavior and birds have a lot more range that I could work with and then through the Cornelius lab I got connected to uh, my current advisor David Kikuchi and he was working with birds and so I was like well I guess we're going to continue working with birds right on (laughs) so it's like it just kind of happened but like I enjoy working with them and they're really interesting to work with. They're weird things. So. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool because uh, you're working with sparrows and and how they uh, perceive predators, which are yeah. also snakes. Yeah. So I ended up kind of tying the two things I was used to like together. Like it worked out really well. Um, yeah. With my advisor David, he does he's done a lot of stuff involving birds and snakes. So it kind of just happened to work out really well. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, Do you have a favorite bird? Oh, favorite bird. Oh, man. It's a really random one, but I I really like bearded vultures. They're just, they're really cool looking. Like, I don't even know that I just love them. Bearded vultures. Is that, like, different than, like, the normal kind of, like, vulture we see? Or that's a turkey vulture here, right? Yeah, we have turkey vultures here. Bearded vultures are, honestly, it's really hard to describe. I would just recommend looking them up because they're, like, all feathers, but... They like they can eat straight bones, and some of them are kind of like are tinted like a reddish. Okay, they're really cool looking birds. For the listener, I'm getting on my phone right now. <laughs> Bearded vulture. I don't make a habit of doing this. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that is cool looking. Yeah, it's a really weird one, but I'm like, that's the one I always think of because I'm like, it's such an odd bird. They have really interesting faces, and they don't look as like grotesque is like a oh yeah turkey vulture that's yeah all for sure skin <laughs> on the top yeah <laughs> uh, okay okay i lost my place give me a second <laughs> cut this you're good um oh yeah so uh when did you realize that you wanted to pursue a career in science were you always like into science or like was it like your first like when you were like in high school and you're like i'm gonna pick a direction to go was that the first direction so it's actually really funny. So I wanted to do medical research since I was like in fourth grade. 
um, a little bit of like a background. My uh, my dad has a brain tumor, and that was like one of my driving factors. Is I got really interested in like neurology and like behavior in that aspect in humans. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to do like medical research in that way. And I went through like high school. I started college with that intent. Um, I was a biology major because that would give me like the most general knowledge. Um, and then COVID hit the end of my freshman year and all my sophomore years online. And like while I was taking all those classes online. I was kind of realizing, like, I don't necessarily want to do, like, an 8 to 5 just living in a lab for the rest of my life. Sure. And so I was, like, kind of lost, a little confused, didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point. And I took an ecology class um, at the end of my sophomore year. And there was just, like, that light bulb moment uh, when my professor was talking about her research in the forest with, like, western lowland gorillas. And I was just like, I want to do that. Like, that's super cool. How do I do that? And so, like, I talked with my advisor, and he was like, oh yeah, you want to go to grad school then. So then I was like, okay, so now I got to figure this out. <laughs> so yeah, I was junior and senior year. I was like trying to play catch up and like figure it out. But yeah, cool. it was very much a light bulb moment for me that just like flipped the switch straight over to wanting to do biological research. Sweet. Yeah. So biologists that end up going to get their master's, those are the people that get to do cool excursions in the Tetons for a month. And uh, are people that like, that would pursue biology just getting like a bachelor's uh would they have be able to also get opportunities like that or is it something because you're so specialized in an area yeah it it honestly depends on what you want to do so if you want to do more applied so like if you want to be more like working at a park just doing like basic population like surveys and stuff or just like more simplified tasks that are like direct for conservation that would probably be about a, a bachelor's Mm-hmm. sometimes for a master's as well um if you want to stay in like academia so like becoming a professor and being like at the forefront of doing research then you'd need to get a phd then probably do a postdoc afterwards awesome yeah that sounds i just i appreciate how um just how knowledgeable you are about this and i don't mean to, i don't mean to like sound belittling or anything it's just yeah. that um I don't know. You sound really smart, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. I had to do my research because I'm I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want to do with my degree. So I was like, we're starting with the master's to figure it out. Might turn into a PhD. Who knows? I just really yeah. like the research. That's what I care about. So cool. Yeah. Uh, so could you walk us through the process of like applying to grad school and as a biologist? Like, how do you pick a lab that you want to work with? Um, what are like? How would someone even go about? starting to decide on that process yeah so i would say the way biologists do it is a little weird compared to most grad programs so a lot of grad programs you just kind of apply to the program and either like you just take classes or you get assigned like different professors that you can work under versus with us Mm -hmm. we have to find uh, the professor who will be our advisor first before we can even apply so they have to like approve you to even apply to grad school Mm -hmm. so Basically, it's you look at whatever universities you're interested in and then just looking through professors' websites, kind of reading about their research, what interests you, and then contacting them. Um, with mine, I was connected through the Cornelius Lab. They told me about my advisor because he was just starting. He's It's a brand new lab um, cool. on campus. So I contacted him and we met a few times. And then um, based on his research, he had me propose ideas that I would like to do in grad school. Um, so that was kind of like my selling point being like, look at all the cool things I can do. And then, yeah. So then at that point he gave me the green light to apply. And then we went through like a recruitment event and then he was like, okay, you're officially in, like you've made it. (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah. 
do you uh do you get like paid to do that kind of work as a graduate student or do you still have to find like other employment yeah so i would say specifically with our department we're kind of lucky we do get funded so either it's a gra so um graduate research assistant so while we're doing our research we get paid or we're a GTA, which is a teaching assistant. So we help teach some of the undergraduate level uh, labs and classes. Cool, that's that's really great. So it seems like it really uh, enables you to focus on your studies and the work that you're doing rather than having to like outsource and- Yeah, definitely. Find yeah. other opportunities. Especially when, when you're teaching, I feel like it gives you a good chance to like go back to the basics and I feel like it gives you a new perspective a little bit. Oh, so, you, so. you're teaching right now too? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I'm teaching the 200-level bio series. Um, so that's mainly freshmen who are uh, biology majors. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, like, you seem pretty young. Not, like, in a bad way. Oh, yeah. Just that, like, you, maybe you just did all this back-to-back. So is it, would it be, is that true? Yeah, I'm one of the youngest in my cohort. Most people took gap years. I went straight from high school into college, graduated in four years, immediately got into grad school. So I've taken no breaks. I'm very young compared to everyone else. Congratulations. That's really Thanks. awesome. Um, is, do you think it's like, is it strange to like be teaching at this point? Some of it is. Um, when I realized that I wanted to do grad school, um, I I knew that there were um, opportunities volunteering wise that you could do as an undergraduate. So you could help teach the exact same labs that you teach as a grad student. Oh, cool. So I um, ended up volunteering for those labs. So I ended up teaching the labs, which I'm now getting paid to teach so I like was trying to prepare myself for it because I was not good at teaching when I first started so it was very much a learning curve oh that's fascinating what is what what do you think was like the tipping point like besides uh you know taking those classes and being more familiar with them you know like in that volunteer way uh did you do any other kind of like professional development to make you feel more comfortable uh you know professing your knowledge honestly it it was just straight experience from doing the labs because it, it's a three-hour lab each week. And so it's like you you meet um, on Mondays for a prep meeting with all the grad students. And then you're basically being mentored by one of the grad students, the lab that you're teaching with. Um, so it was a lot of me working with the mentoring grad student. And so a lot of like one-on-one work, talking about it, getting me prepared, him giving advice and like helping give tips and stuff. Cool. So yeah, it was... Yeah, it was honestly just experience. And after the first time that I did it, I was like, you know, that wasn't that bad. Maybe I should do that again. So then as I did it more and more, I've just gotten more comfortable. Sweet. Yeah. And you had kind of mentioned like in our like our little preamble before this that you were maybe thinking about like getting your PhD as well. Yes. Yeah, Would you continue like teaching or are you going to kind of go more in like the, I guess research and teaching kind of go hand in hand because you have time to do it if you're a teacher, right? Yeah. 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 Not as it kind of depends on what your research is. Sometimes you can't. So then it will be like some terms you're teaching, some terms you're doing research. Um, Part of it also depends on I've applied for a grant recently and I'm waiting to hear back. I won't hear back until April, but it's like a three year long fellowship. So if I get that, I don't necessarily have to teach. I just get funded to do research the entire time. So that's that's what we're aiming for. (laughs) We'll see. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I wanted to loop us back around to the predator recognition mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so you kind of touched on it a little bit uh, earlier in the conversation, but I was in the whole behavior of, of the birds and stuff. How do you 
determine um, if like this this bird is showing predator recognition or not. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll start by explaining kind of what my experiment is. So firstly, um, I'm currently working on building nest boxes and then gonna I'm gonna put them all around Corvallis area. So the birds are gonna nest in there. I'm going to obtain the eggs and I'm going to hatch them and raise them in the lab. So basically completely naive, haven't seen any predators before in their life. Cool. And then we are planning on 3D printing a bunch of these different models. So like things like a ball or a pencil or a stick up to like actual snake models. So like gopher snakes, which are a huge predator for Mm -hmm. birds here. So basically we're going to put them in front of the bird and the bird's gonna have this little food dish that they're gonna wanna approach to eat. But then they're gonna see like the scary stimulus. And so it's like, depending on what level of hesitation they show. So like, if they really don't wanna walk into the food dish, it's likely because they're scared of the thing that's on the other side. Okay, cool. I'm wondering how like, how realistic these models are gonna be, like these 3D printed models. Cause I feel like, Uh, you know, like maybe like a snake would like be moving or they would smell like something or, you know, maybe they're colored differently. Yeah. So we have photorealistic color scans of actual species. So we're, they should hopefully be about as accurate as possible as we can get for those species. Um, Worst case, we can also do just different colors because it even could be like, oh, it's just the fact that this one's like, you know, black, that that's scary to them or something. Sure. Um, Yeah, so I'm hoping they should be realistic enough. We're mainly looking at visual recognition, so we're hoping that, like, we're not using, like, scent as an indicator, basically. So we're just keeping it the same between all objects, so then that won't be a factor. Okay, so why predator recognition? Like, why is that um, interesting study for you? Like, what are you going to use that information for? Yeah, so I'm just really interested in general, because we don't entirely know how birds are learning to recognize these. Like... It could be socially learned or it's just like they get attacked by a snake and oh, they're scared of them. Mm-hmm. Or it's just like, we don't know. It could be even like heritable. There could be an evolutionary trait here that's being selected for. Um, like there has, there's been previous studies that have seen with some species of birds that they innately recognize species like coral snakes, which are extremely dangerous. Like you're pretty much dead if you get attacked. You know? I've never even heard of a coral snake. Yeah, they're, they're pretty dangerous. It's like the what red on yellow kill a fellow oh okay that, that whole rhyme gotcha so that that's coral snakes so i lost my train of thought <laughs> what was i saying <laughs> uh we were talking about why the sparrow why you were studying the sparrows um predator oh, yeah. recognition yeah. yeah so specifically with house sparrows um they're not from this area they've been introduced from europe back in like the 1850s oh cool so one thing that i find really interesting with these guys is that the snakes here aren't the same. So they're exposed to new predators that they've never seen before. So I'm really curious to see if we can almost catch evolution happening where you're seeing like, you know, now they recognize this gopher snake and they didn't recognize it before when they were first introduced. Like we don't have background information on it, but it could show how successful they are at adapting to these new environments with these new predators. Wow, that's pretty cool to be seeing evolution in the process. Yes, definitely. Would you be... Um, intrigued if they ended up being scared of like the ball or I think it would be very interesting honestly the you never know what to expect with live animals a lot of times they just don't cooperate so sure there's kind of the excitement of being like this may work really well or it could go horribly but we might get something interesting either way 
I'm interested in like how you're gonna snatch the eggs. Is snatch the correct term? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, so we're gonna how you're gonna snatch the eggs and then like raise the eggs into <laughs> like full blown birds yeah. and. Uh, sorry, you're good. <laughs> so you're gonna raise the the birds. Um, do you, do they have like some sort of uh? How do they learn like behavior? I guess like is it just between other like baby birds or are there like like older birds that are also with them or are they just taking cues as they grow up from from you and like your team? So I'd say. Okay, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to answer that one. You mean just like cues in general? Is that yeah? I mean, like, like, uh, because you're talking about how they're like you're gonna test if they recognize the snake or not, yeah. And so, like, I think there's like a lot of learned behaviors, Mm -hmm. um, with like animals of like how to act and stuff or like what to do. And, um, I would, I guess, I was like curious if there's gonna be like like older birds there that are gonna be teaching like the younger birds the ropes Mm -hmm. or if they're like going to be like not really understanding like what anything is besides like how they're perceiving it it's like a like a baby bird yeah so it's they're very much going to be naive we're not going to be teaching them pretty much anything except we'll have like rocks and sticks in their cages so those will be familiar objects to kind of use as a baseline against these other items that'll be new Mm -hmm. so a lot of it we're keeping them all naive just so we can test that innate part to see if there is like an evolutionary heritable trait that's causing them to recognize these snakes uh, we will also be adding like a social learning aspect. Mm-hmm. So using alarm calls, which uh, have evidence for being innately recognized in babies. So we're gonna have alarm calls with the snake and see if they get more scared of it. So if they can learn that this, the snake is really scary by hearing these or by seeing another house sparrow, like a model sitting next to a model snake and not getting attacked, if they can learn that, oh, maybe this isn't that dangerous. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay, cool. So how long are are they going to live in captivity for, like, their whole life then? Since they're kind of, like, coming up, like, without influence of other birds? Or do you eventually put them out into the world? Yeah, so we will have to keep them in the lab, um, especially because they are invasive species. I don't think we're allowed to release them anyways, but I don't think they'd necessarily have the survival skills. So they'll be eating out of food dishes they won't know how to forage. Oh, that's a good point. We'll have to keep them for whatever else. Cool. That's, yeah. There's so many like layers to this that I was like, oh yeah, like not expecting, and now I'm just like, well, I have all these like really like specific <laughs> questions about your work. Yeah. Um, I'll try to keep on track though. No, you're good. So, um, as a grad student, are there, are you facing any uh, challenges or, um, I don't know. It just seems like you're having like a pretty epic time. So I didn't know <laughs> if, if like maybe you were struggling with something and maybe we could like kind of pass that on to you know as advice to like people that are coming up yeah i'd say grad school is awesome it's also requires a lot of you so it is a lot of hard work um it's also i feel like the happiest i've been in a while because i'm doing like exactly what i want to do with my life right now Mm -hmm. so it's been really cool for that but uh, number one thing that I've learned is time management is really difficult because mm, okay. you're trying to get your research ready. You're also trying to teach and you're taking classes. So it's just kind of like all these things are happening. So it's like you really have to get on getting things done, but also really important to uh, what what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> oh, I'm blanking. 
but you it's have to like, it's like scheduling yeah, you have to create like boundaries for yourself oh boundaries but, like, that's a good word it's really important to take time for yourself and have that self-care that's definitely one thing that uh, we take an orientation class our first term and so that's one thing that the professors have been hammering into those so that they're like protect your time <laughs> like you need to take time for yourself that's really important and like go out and socialize and do all that yeah so time management still it's an ongoing difficulty um I feel like I also have the unique difficulty of being in a lab that just started. So I'm the first grad student, also the only grad student, and my professor is new. So it's it's very much like we're both learning at the same time and we're figuring this out. And I'm pretty much setting up the basis for all of this research. So there's nothing like built beforehand. I'm having to make all these connections and everything. So it's it's really crazy, but it's also really cool to like have that level of control over what I'm doing. Yeah, totally. That sounds very empowering to be mm-hmm. able to just, uh, I don't know, you're kind of calling the shots in some ways. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it sounds like um, like if you, there's so much going on in grad school that like uh, not only is it, um, you know, it, you're, you're just focusing on trying to get through this, but is there also like an aspect of people asking too much of your time that you need to block it off? Yeah, I would say definitely. There's always going to be kind of like a, not really a fight but kind of a fight (laughs) in the sense that it's like you're teaching and so the people who are like in charge really want you to spend more time like grading or preparing for the lab or working on that Mm -hmm. and then on the other side there's your advisor who really wants you to do like write a grant and work on your research and do that and so it's like you kind of have like a bunch of different people telling you that you need to do this stuff and at some point you're just like all right I'm I'm done we're taking a break we're just not going to do that so yeah, it's just really important to set those boundaries and to be very like strict. You're like, nope, we're not answering emails after five o'clock. Like, we're closing the laptop, we're done, we're taking a break. So, For sure. Yeah. So it sounds like it's like the work aspect of like you know uh, teaching mm-hmm. is what's like the real um, kind of I don't want to say like time suck, mm-hmm. but like a demand for your time rather than like being in like your own classes or like you're in your lab and like doing kind of your homework or your research um, that might have been more present like in an undergrad Mm -hmm. yeah I'd say teaching does take up quite a bit of time so I mean it's three hour labs Um, we teach twice a week so that's six hours not including like grading and office hours and then whatever meetings we have to get ready for the lab at the beginning of the week so yeah it definitely is a big time suck but you learn to become a lot more efficient at it and we're not supposed to go over like 20 hours a week so that's the good news is that once you get close enough that you're like all right we need to just dial it back we can work on this next week like it's fine cool is like your lab time is that also like 20 hours a week are you kind of working collectively more than like a full-time job um so in total it's 20 hours a week so that includes all of oh all of it so including the six hours of being in lab with students okay cool 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 Hmm? right on um so why do you think that people should study biology? I mean, like, if people were going to be like, if someone was going to be like, I could study biology or I could study literally anything else, why would you say that they should study biology? It's pretty funny because my, my best answer would be because you want to do it. <laughs> so I guess, like, yeah. why? who would be, like, a really good candidate for like this type of field like what kind of skills would be good to have yeah so not even necessarily skills but just kind of like the baseline is like 
number one most important thing is you need to have passion for wanting to like understand things about the world Mm -hmm. and then like number two like curiosity and like a drive to answer those questions like you you have these questions about the world you really want answered and you're determined to get those and so very much that's just kind of like the baseline for all biologists is that we're just like we're really excited we're active learners like that's what gets us really happy with life so that's definitely the basis um Sounds like it allows yeah. for like some creativity too, based on like mm-hmm. the kinds of experiments you're setting up. Yeah, there is definitely an aspect of creativity that people don't really talk about. I mean, trying to figure out my experiment is fun, and then I'm like, I'm trying to build these nest boxes for the birds, and so I'm like, all right, do I put them on posts? Do I put them over on this fence? Like, <laughs> it's all this crazy design stuff I didn't expect to do. And sure, yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, are there any downfalls like to being a biology student like that you maybe wouldn't recommend or wish you knew beforehand (laughs) i mean i mean the number one thing is it it does take a lot of work it potentially takes more work than you expect so that's always a difficulty um i mean for a lot of us who chose grad school like we decided we were ready for that we we want to do it even though it is difficult um another thing is just you really have to take charge of your learning Mm -hmm. Um, compared to like in high school and in undergrad you're kind of told the material you need to know Mm -hmm. and so it's like oh just study these we'll just test you on that material and then you you're just going to go off you're never going to do that again versus once you get to grad school you have to figure out what you need to know to get things done and so you really have to be on that and then even in classes like you take information that's really relevant for your research and like trying to figure out how to use that uh, to benefit your research and your career. Could you give an example of that where you're like finding something and then you have to like try to rope it in? The only thing I can really think of just right now is that there's uh, the Cornelius lab is also doing nest box related research. It's different than what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but very much from seeing them do it and in the field, I feel like it's kind of helped me get an idea as to what birds might not respond to because they oh. use things like rubber snakes Sometimes that doesn't really work out so well. The birds don't like to cooperate. And so I'm like, okay, we need to make sure that these are photorealistic, like the actual species, because it could just be like they know that it's fake because mm-hmm. it's this weird flimsy looking thing that's just sitting there. Yeah, like what is that down there? Yeah. It so, smells like something weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like learning by example of what other people are doing. And especially like when you're reading papers – Um, as you're trying to like propose what research you're doing you can kind of find research that's a little bit similar to what you're doing and kind of trying to tie that in um yeah cool no that makes total sense (laughs) but yeah uh taking everything in and being uh uh, oh god where it's like it's not decisive but like uh you can see it and you're like i need that and then you use that yeah very much it's it's kind of funny that you don't really expect it necessarily in science, I think. But it's like you see something and you're like, oh, that's really smart. I'm going to do that exact same thing mm-hmm. just as a part of my research. Like, even though someone might be doing research about, like, whales, sometimes you'll find something in the methods that are really applicable to what you want to do. You're like, oh, that's really cool. I should use that. Like, Nice. Yeah, it just kind of comes from unexpected places. That's great. Yeah, that inspiration. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So, uh what would you tell yourself if you're like talking to uh, your younger self getting ready to like not only just go to grad school but like down this biology road in general what would what advice would you give your younger self looking back 
say number one is stop doubting yourself so much because that's definitely something I mean I still struggle with it um imposter syndrome is definitely a real thing where you you feel like you're the only one faking it like everyone thinks that you're this amazing person and you're like but I don't understand what I'm doing I'm so confused and like you feel like a imposter in this environment but everyone experiences that even people who have been in this field for like 30 40 years they still feel that so it's just trying to tell myself that it's like it's okay that you don't know things you can reach out ask for help and you can figure it out because like I definitely didn't think when I started my junior year that I was going to make it into grad school I had no research experience so I was like freaked out trying to figure out like how do I get two years worth of experience and somehow tie that into grad school and get in so it's yeah it's crazy <laughs> right on yeah i i can totally agree with the imposter syndrome yeah it, it is it's tough to deal with but like keep pushing people mm-hmm. so uh any other advice you would like to give to people listening that are thinking about going into stem yeah i'd say one of the most important things that i've learned is finding a mentor mm-hmm. so could even be someone in a completely different field, just someone who's there to support you, to talk with you. Um, for me, it was a PhD student in Mason Lab. He was very much like, he was the reason I got as much confidence as I did, I would say. Like he was the one like, kind of like behind me, like pushing me like, oh, you can do this, you can teach, like you got this, like everything will be fine. Like, yeah, it was just, it's really helpful to have someone where you're like, they're very much, in your corner and you're like I know that I can do this because they believe in me mm-hmm. and they wouldn't believe in me if I couldn't do it so yeah totally oh I love that idea yeah a mentor someone mm-hmm. you're like really looking up to uh, that's a really good I feel like a mentor is something I hear a lot but I appreciated that caveat of like but like you also are like super stoked because you appreciate the work that they do yeah definitely definitely was someone that I I really look up to Um, The other thing I would say is just building a community, finding a group of people that are also interested in the same things. It kind of happens organically with grad school, at least with my department, because all the first years we're all taking classes together. Mm -hmm. So we're doing like a lot of social events and like we're planning on like going bowling soon, (laughs) like all these fun things to like just bond together, but also just having other people that are having a similar experience. Because then you can kind of relate where it's like, everyone's stressed out about teaching but we're all in it together we're figuring it out so it's just that sense of community and feeling like you belong that even though it's difficult you still have other people that are experiencing something very similar for sure for sure awesome well i want to thank you for joining me today and and also being uh, patient with the process (laughs) yeah (laughs) just happy to be here well i uh, I appreciate it and if anyone um out there that has a classroom full of students that's interested in biology Alice is also looking for um, opportunities to come speak in classrooms. That's yep. right, right? Yep, definitely. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, um, I don't. Do you want to provide like? Well, how about they email me and I'll I'll forward it to you or something, yeah, yeah, so we don't like good. be blasting out your information and on yeah. the internet. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, thanks for listening. This was closing the gap. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Closing the Gap. If you like this show, subscribe on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at MVSTEMCTE, on Twitter at MidValleySTEM, and online at MidValleySTEM.org. Until next time, keep progressing.